with yesterday being the 4th of July, honestly, my mind and heart over the course of the week went to that holiday when I was growing up, thinking about some of the traditions we used to have with my family, my parents in particular, and the way they set that up for us. My dad uh, worked in banking all of his life. I don't know that I've ever shared that with you before, but really enjoyed that line of work. And that's all I really remember is my dad doing that. So obviously on 4th of July, it was a holiday, whether it was a day of the week or weekend, whatever that was. So my dad was off work. Typically what that day looked like for us uh, was get up early in the morning, start the yard work, whatever needed to be done, typically cutting the grass or doing something around the yard, the house that needed to be done. And then after that was completed, uh, my dad would start making homemade ice cream. Uh, That was one of our greatest traditions growing up on 4th of July. I always loved him working on and doing that. My mom would work on side dishes and get all of those ready and put together and Uh, We enjoyed uh, getting ready for the evening, which typically was getting together with other families. My dad would grill or wherever we would go, spending time with families, they would grill as well. Obviously, fireworks would be a part of it. And if we were able to go to the parade that took place downtown Goddard, Kansas, growing up, we definitely did that also. And so there were really some wonderful memories growing up of the 4th of July, family traditions that my parents put in place. So when we think of the The words family tradition, obviously two words. One, family, we think oftentimes of these, uh, our biological families, those who we grow up with, knowing our parents, if we have siblings, whatever context that is in our lives. And then we also think of the word tradition, those things that uh, someone has put in place for us, possibly to carry on through the entirety of our lives or to be able to Uh, in our own way, in our own traditions, modify those to make those special for our kids. Well, uh, today's title of the message is called Family Traditions. A little bit different, though, in the way we look at it, considering God and what he has established for us, some of the traditions that he has put in place that we see all throughout the Old and New Testament for us to carry on, to live out actually In our lives, God being our Father, fathering us, and then showing us by example, the Holy Spirit leading us to do what He did Himself in sending Jesus to live and die, rise again for us, the way Jesus interacted, built relationships with people. We too are to be committed to that in the ways in which we love His children, brothers and sisters in Christ, also in the ways in which we obey what He's shown us that we're to do in His Word, and then. Uh, Finally, how we're called to live in his strength, how that's a part of who we are and the way we manage our lives, the way we navigate is we are called actually multiple times, not only in this passage today, uh, but in other passages that we're going to look at, overcomers in Christ because of the power uh, that we have accessibly in him with the Holy Spirit living through us to walk with him and to live in strength in this world and to be the overcomers that he's called us to be. So those are the three pieces, really, that we're going to look at as we walk through 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 this morning together, seeing how, in some way, God has shown us, by, again, the example of Jesus living, walking among us, how he carried that out in his life, and how we, too, as a result, are to live out these traditions that were set for us in the realm of family, God being our Father and us having brothers and sisters in Jesus. And before we read our passage, however, let's pray together and then we'll get started. 
God, we thank you for this morning and for your word. We are grateful for you being our Father and for you, once again, laying out how we are to live, giving us the Holy Spirit, the ability and power to live in strength in you, you actually living in and through us as we navigate this life. And then, God, these three specific areas that we're going to look at today, I pray that you would challenge our hearts, challenge our lives in these things. Uh, be with us now as we spend time uh, reading your word and studying. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 is where we'll read. We'll go through the entire passage, as has been the case for most of this study, of this sweet letter. And then we will come back and hit it uh, verse to verse, uh, even splitting it out to a degree, uh, looking at half verses at some points. But let's read together 1 John 5, 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father is loved by him and has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So once again, considering this family tradition, it doesn't take us very long when we begin reading chapter 5, verse 1, to see the last phrase there of that first part of the verse. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And so there's this, this picture of God fathering us in the way in which he loved his son, in the way he loves loved then from the creation as we are his creation and loves now those whom he has created. Those who have come into a relationship with Jesus, have surrendered their lives, have been born of God. So the family picture of God being the father and us being his kids is evidenced. And we know there are times in our lives when it's easy to love those who are around us. We spent a lot of time on that over the last couple of weeks, talking about these relationships that we have with the people of God. But we also know there are times when it's difficult uh, to love those around us who are in the body of Christ. How do I know that? Because I know there are times I am a very prickly creature. I'm difficult to love at times, even for my direct family, because of our personalities, the positions that we hold in life, what we uh, run to, our our backgrounds, our biases, all that we are uh, as people, and not only people of God, but creations of his living in this world, there are differences, and we're not always going to line up with those differences. And so that can create, at times, tension. And I realize that as the dad, as my dad fathered me as well, there are times that we will disagree, but who's going to win those battles typically between a father and kids living at home? Well, obviously, the father's going to win those battles, the mother as well, because of the way that God set up the family system. So when we think relationally, brothers and sisters in Christ, and the way that we approach those, this love relationship that we're called to have with them, this investment that we're to make in their lives, we have to remember that God is the one who ushered in this relationship opportunity that we have with people 
because of the opportunity he gives us to have a relationship with himself. So as a result, the Holy Spirit, again, who dwells in us, gives us the opportunity and really the affection of God for the people around us. In that, we have to ask ourselves the question, do I love building relationship with the people of God? Is that something that's a part of my DNA? Do I love spending time with other brothers and sisters in Christ? If for some reason that's missing as a part of who we are, we have to ask ourselves the question, why? And how is that so? Why would we not want to build a relationship with people who are of the same mind, of the same heart, of the same faith? That should be a driving force for us and one of the primary reasons for us to love. We should hunger for that. And even though there are times when it will be difficult and hard for us to love others, we always have to keep in mind there are times when it is hard for people to love us. And in spite of that, remember, and this verse was shared earlier in worship by Jeremy uh, when he prayed, actually, but God demonstrates his love for us in this way. We're still sinners at our worst. He died for us. That's how much he loves us. So even at our ugliest, he loved us in spite of. And we're called to do that as well with the people of God to the point where we can understand and live out 1 Thessalonians 2.8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So there's this picture of how relationships are to form that we become dear to one another. It doesn't mean we're always going to be on the same page or agree about everything, but we've made a commitment above and beyond, obviously, our emotion to be settled in this relationship with people. It's a conscious decision, just as it is in our decision to love God. We are called to that type of relationship, that type of love. Okay, so practically, what does that look like for us? We've not really talked about this element of relationship, but, but consider a caravan of vehicles traveling somewhere together. Let's say student camp. Obviously, our students aren't going to camp this summer. Uh, we're going to have in a couple of weeks camp here, but, but consider there are, oh, let's say eight to ten vehicles in this caravan driving from our city to Bolivar, Missouri, which is where they've gone to camp for several years. So there's, there are these, these big buses that are housing the students and their individual cars and everyone's driving together. Obviously, there's a, a vehicle in the front, there's a vehicle in the back, and a whole bunch of vehicles in between. And everyone's following each other with the mindset and heart set of knowing where we're going. We're going to get to camp. Well, as that caravan progresses, where do our eyes naturally go most of the time? to the front. We're looking at the vehicle in front of us, trying not to drive too closely to the vehicle in front of us, but, but we're watching that vehicle, making sure we're not getting sidetracked or lost along the way. Oftentimes, we'll look in the rearview mirror just really quickly for a glance to see if the people behind us are still with us, but it's not necessarily as intentional as it is in looking ahead of us. So the goal is, the end goal, is that we will arrive together at the same time in the same place. That's the hope. All eight, ten vehicles, whatever that is. Well, as a church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, our responsibility is not only to look forward to those generationally, but also to look behind generationally. So let's just do it in categories of years. We'll say 
uh, decades, 10 years. So when we turn 40 years old in the family of God, we should be looking at the closest age to us, those who are 30, and at the furthest ahead, those who are 50. And making sure that as we walk with God as a church, brothers and sisters in Christ, not just global church, but in particular local, the context of us, Blue Valley Baptist Church, that those who are in front of us, we are honoring, respecting, building up, loving, praying for. And that those behind us that we're loving, doing the same, but mentoring along the way. Let's extend it a little bit more. 50-year-olds to 8-year-olds, 10-year-olds. 25-year-olds to 75-year-olds. Making sure that we are for each other relationally, brothers and sisters in Christ, caring for one another, multi-generational ministry, which is one of our commitments as a church family. We are all about multi-generational, making sure that this forgotten group of people in our society, in large part, senior adults, are not being left out, obliterated, eliminated in the context of relationship, that we care so deeply for them, so much for them, that we're watching out for them as they mentor us. And as we grow older, a couple of us, we look back and we think about the kids and the students So we're in college, young couples who are married, who don't have experience, life experience. And our desire should be not only to be mentored, but to care for those in front of us, but to do a good job for those behind us, relationally and generationally. Being fathered by God all along, but utilizing opportunities that we've been given to invest both directions as we're invested in. The idea of the family of God. So John drawing that piece out, us looking at that, and then him going on in the second half of the verse, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So again, we've talked about that. It should be a part of who we are. It should be our mindset that we're not going to leave anyone behind as we press towards what's ahead. Does that make sense? This relationship we need to have, how are we doing there? We're going to look at that a little bit again at the end. We see the next sign of being fathered by God means that we obey his commands. Uh, Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. And those commandments are not meant to be burdensome to us. The way this verse falls in, in this section of John's writing, we have to go back again to verse 1 to see verse 2 build upon it, and then we have to press forward to verse Three, because that builds upon this. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Once again, as was shared, these these commands that he's given us should really bring joy into our lives and our hearts. In Matthew 21, 28 through 31, uh, Jesus often taught in parables. And there was a parable that was given about these two sons. You might be familiar with it, but let me read. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. 
which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus makes the point with us. If we truly obey him, if we truly love him, then an expression of our lives to him is one of obedience. Remember the definition for obedience? It's been a while since we've given it. Doing what you're told to do, when you're told to do it, with a happy heart. As we obey God's commands, it should produce in us joy. We look back at the Psalms, David writing those, and oftentimes those pieces that he penned, he would talk about this joy that would come from the depth of his life by obeying the commands of God. Why? Because if we do that, we know that pleases the Father's heart. And it produces in us, as a result, joy. Now, we don't hear very many songs in our world today about the joys of paying taxes to the IRS. I don't know when the last time somebody wrote a song like that. It doesn't produce a lot of joy in us, uh, necessarily, that we do that. I don't hear a lot of songs written by kids and the joys of obeying their parents. I'm sure they're out there somewhere. Uh, but most of the songs, you know, girls just want to have fun, Cindy Lauper, 1980s. You know, we hear about those things. And oftentimes, that doesn't mean that they're following the parents' instruction, but but we, we see the point as we walk with God and as we spend time with him, there should be a sense in our lives and our hearts, a yielding to the Holy Spirit and his leadership in our lives that should produce in us a desire to obey what he's given us in his word. And as a result, there should be a, a sense of or a flavor of in our lives this, this settled joy. It should be an expression of who we are because of our love for him. There was a phrase uh, that I read from a, a book by John Stott. For love, love for God is not an emotional experience so much as a moral commitment. Uh, the families we are in and the family of God in, in loving and obeying God's word in this way uh, should not be a burden to us. It should, again, produce joy. And so we think of that at times, and as we talked about how difficult it is to be loved and to love others at points, there has to be a hard-line commitment for us that we're committed to doing the hard things. Obeying the commands of God in our lives is not always easy. In fact, at times it's difficult. But intentionally, the call for us is to live and to do the hard things. There's an area that's not being reached for Jesus. It would be easier to stay in the context of where I am. But being obedient to God's command, I'm going to go into that difficult area and I'm going to live and love and make a kingdom difference. It would be easier for us to stay in the jobs that we have and the area that we are instead of recognizing as an engineer or uh, possibly as a um, as, a, as a driver for a, a trucking company or, or whatever that looks like, there's an opportunity that presents itself in an area that's largely unchurched. And there's a leaning for us to go that direction and accept that position so we can expand the kingdom of God in a greater and broader way. It would be easier for us to, to stay where we are, but there are times when God calls us out. Multiply 2028, 20, we've talked about this. It's been a while since we've really addressed that, but our church being committed to building the kingdom of God and planning churches locally, regionally, 
nationally and internationally for us to go and make that commitment as a church family to start driving that direction. That is not easy. That's hard. It's challenging. There will be people from our church family that go and plant churches in places where churches are not to be a light and to make a difference for the kingdom. Are we heralding that? Are we looking for opportunity there? And then we consider, of course, the one who did the hardest thing. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he was praying the night that he was arrested. If it's your will and you can take this cup from me. But if it's your will for me to continue pressing on, I will. Out of obedience and out of love for you as my father. It's not the easiest decision Jesus could have made. But he lived a life of obedience to his father and did so. We are called to the same, even if it's not easy. Lastly, we know we are being fathered by God if we live in his strength. Twice in verse 4 and once in verse 5, the word overcomer is used. And this is an important word for us. This is an important concept for us to get as followers of Jesus. As God fathers us. For us to realize that God has overcome. And as a result, we too, in Christ, are overcomers. Look at verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So there, again, is the sense of family. God being our father, if we surrender our lives to Jesus, if we are his kids, then he and we, because he again is in us, have overcome the world. John continues, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And that word, that, that phrase, oftentimes we think of our faith as talking about um, a decision in Christ or are placing our faith and trust in Jesus. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. But, but this idea of faith, what John was communicating, is a little bit different. It's not just the fact that we've overcome sin because of being found in Christ. It means that we truly are in him victors overcomers. And this idea of faith is concreted in the way that we live out our lives, him living again in and through us, being born of him and overcoming uh, what the world and what sin is. It's not used in the sense of believing, but it's more of a confession that Jesus is not only the Christ, the Messiah, but he is also king. And our living that practically out in our lives. Jesus overcame sin and death on the cross. And it wasn't one of those buzzer beater experiences where it's double overtime and you see somebody get the ball and they make the shot or somebody gets up to the plate and hits a ball and they win the World Series and you know, it's, no one knows what's happening. No, no, this, Jesus living, dying, raising again, has the victory. It was put in place before the beginning of what we know, the beginning of time. That was the way God was operating. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus. Everything. Pre, during, post. What's coming for us. It's all connected. It's the story of God as a whole. His story for us. It wasn't one of those happenstance things. He designed it that way. 
And as a result, not only did he receive victory over death and hell, but he gives us as well when we surrender our lives to him, that victory in Jesus. 1 John 1, 8 to 9, just flipping back a couple of pages. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have in him, if we are found in Christ, we have in him assurance of salvation. We have in him righteousness. We have in him forgiveness. And it's all based on the work of Jesus. We are truly victors, overcomers. In him, 1 John 2, 13 to 14, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. Again, this is talking about in the context of, we've studied these verses already together, but uh, not a um, a physical age, but a spiritual age, uh, being young in the faith, reminding those young men that they and women, they've overcome the evil one. I write to you children, there's the, the reference for us again, because you know the Father. So we see this family relationship once again. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So we see again this, this word overcome. We are overcomers in him. It's important for us to get that, to know that, that we can have confidence as we approach this life. All right, so let's, let's uh, start to wrap it up. Three questions for us that all relate to the points that we've, we've looked at. How are we doing in the area of loving the people of God? Do we focus more on the differences? When we speak of the church or of the body of Christ locally, globally, is it with a cynical, critical eye? Focusing on, again, what there is that, that is that is wrong or is different. Or are we more vested in, on our faces, before the king, interceding, praying for those who are in the church? None of us walks in each other's shoes. None of us. Each person individually and each family is different. As far as makeup, the way we function, the way we funnel. And John is reminding us that we should have such a dear love that, that these who are close to us should be so dear to us that our investment for others relationally should go deeper than what it is. Do our words encourage or discourage? Do our words blow up or do our words edify? And glorify God. Do our, does our interceding reflect the way that we're taught to pray? Are we praying scripture for one another? Are we really vested? That's a sign that we are, if so, being fathered, being instructed living in relationship with consistently the Lord. Second question, how are we displaying his commands in our lives? Not only are we looking, called to look back and to look forward, but we're 
we're called to the commitment to do the things that are hard. The Christian life. And in that, are we experiencing joy when we follow, when we obey, when we look at God's word, when it's important to our lives, when it becomes this part of this life relationship with him? Are we so living out the truth, following his commands, obeying him, that there's an overwhelming sense of joy consistently in our lives? If not, it's possible that something's missing. What do we do with that? Well, we cry out to God for help. (laughs) That he would allow us to be in step with him as we walk with him and that he would continually draw us closer to himself and that we, in response to wanting to honor him, to love him, that we would obey what he calls us to do, regardless of the cost and consequence. Finally, are we living living in his strength? You know, there are certain seasons of our lives, we're in one, where it can be very challenging and difficult for us to really understand beyond our emotions that he has given us his presence to be able to live in strength that we're called overcomers, And at times, our our eyes and our lives and our focus get so much on circumstances that we forget that truth. And so our lives, in some respects, being negatively affected because of that, cause us to, to drift from the Lord and cause us to not remember that we are actually overcomers in him and that he's already won. If we could live in that truth alone, how would our lives be different? There are some great verses. You might be familiar with these as well. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 58. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What is it saying? Death is not the worst thing for us. Actually, death's going to be sweet victory because we will be ushered into the presence of the living God and reunited with those who have gone before us. Now, we have jobs and responsibilities to do here He will take us when he is ready. It's better for us if we remember those words in 2 Timothy, to be here and to live with others. Paul talked about how it was important for us to continually invest and how God's intentionally put us here to make a difference in the lives of those around us that we are not to live for ourselves. And so he's got great things in store for us, but we can't be afraid of if we are found in Christ and we are followers of Jesus' death because there is no sting in that. There's eternal victory for us and that should bring great encouragement. And we're called to love God's children. We're called to obey his commands and, and we're called to live in his strength. And those are all signs of our being fathered by God consistently um, and they are to be 
our family traditions. We are overcomers in him. So how are you doing in those areas? How is God fathering you in those things to where practically those are lived out in your lives? And what are some ways in which God's doing the work right now, or maybe even beginning this morning, where he is looking to alter or change whatever it is about us to make him more like himself in those areas, to make us more like himself in those areas? Where's the chisel going to work in your life by God? He does that even though at times painful because he loves us and because his commitment to us is way beyond an emotion. It's the reality of the truth that he loves us. Where are you today? Let's pray.